I'd like you to ponder this question. When you pray, what do you pray for? Or perhaps we could ask the question this way, what kind of wants or needs do you tend to bring to God in prayer? Now, I don't see all of the prayer requests that go through our church, but I see most of them. And what I notice is this, most of them focus on some kind of physical concern. The need for housing or transportation or a job. The need to overcome sickness or a debilitating disease. The desire to fix a broken relationship. Now these are important issues and we should be faithful to pray for them diligently. God cares about those needs in your life and in mine. And when we're faithful to pray about them, we're often going to get different answers than if we ignored God and didn't pray and simply tried to figure things out on our own. And as we pray about needs, it's really important that we don't just pray for our own needs, but that we also pray for the needs of others. And one of the things that I love about our church is that so many in this community of faith are doing just that. We're engaging in what's called intercessory prayer, where we faithfully pray not just for our own needs, but we pray asking God to meet, the lie, meet needs in the lives of other people. That is a good thing. That is a godly thing, and I hope that we never stop doing that. Here's something which occurs to me, though. As we pray for one another, we place so much emphasis on praying for physical needs that sometimes we overlook the importance of praying for spiritual needs. And yet, I think that oftentimes God cares most about our spiritual condition. He wants to see us spiritually flourish because that's what puts the rest of life in the proper perspective. And so I find myself wondering, how might my prayers be different? How might your prayers be different if we prayed for the spiritual health and vitality of other believers? What might that kind of intercessory prayer look like? Well, we don't have to guess because we have lots of examples for us in the Bible. And in particular, the Apostle Paul loved to pray for the spiritual well-being of other Christians. And we find one very great example of this in his letter to the Ephesians. Now, the Christians living in Ephesus needed prayer because they lived in a very ungodly city. Ephesus was a city where it was easy to engage in habits and practices that would fall short of what God expects of His children. Ephesus was a city where it was easy to not be a follower of Jesus. So the Christians faced many challenges to their faith. And yes, they faced all the ongoing needs that everyone faces. They needed jobs. They needed housing. They wanted good health and good relationships. But their greatest need was to spiritually flourish so they could live by faith in the midst of an unbelieving culture. And that's how Paul prays for them. And as we take a look at this prayer in a minute, I hope it resonates with you. It resonates with me because I think our situation is a lot like those of the people living in Ephesus. We live in a culture which does not value our faith. 
We live in a world where it can be easy to embrace the values of our culture rather than the values of the kingdom of God. You and I need to pray for each other so that we will spiritually flourish and be able to live by faith. Paul's prayer for the Ephesians, a prayer inspired by the Holy Spirit and recorded for us as part of Scripture, shows us one way to do just that. Let's take a look at this spirit-inspired prayer and see what we can learn about how to pray for one another spiritually. Starting in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. <clears throat> Paul writes out his prayer and he says, For this reason I kneel before the Father. And I want to stop right there before we actually get into the heart of Paul's prayer and camp on what he says here because it highlights something that we often overlook. Paul says that he's kneeling in prayer which tells us that prayer is not just speaking to God and not just listening to God. It also can involve the posture of our body. Now, Paul was <coughs> formed in his faith as a Jew. <coughs> Excuse me. So he brought his Jewish practice of prayer into the church, and the Jews always involved their bodies in prayer. The usual Jewish way to pray was to stand with hands clasped, and to rock back and forth, involving the body actively in prayer. If you go into an Orthodox Jewish synagogue today, you will see people praying just like that. So that was brought into the early church, and, and Paul and many other Christians prayed in just that way. But in this case, though, Paul tells us that he changes his posture, and he kneels. He kneels before God involving his body in the act of prayer in a different way. Sometimes kneeling, sometimes standing. And I think there's a great lesson for you and I in this, that we ought to involve our whole being in the act of prayer. And so sometimes when I pray, I kneel. Sometimes I stand. Sometimes I walk around. Sometimes I lift my head in my hands, and sometimes I bow my head and fold my hands. You see, when we involve our bodies, we bring our whole selves, our, our mind, our heart, and our body into the act of prayer. And I think we find that we pray differently and we're more engaged. That's been my experience. Now, in Paul's case, since his normal posture was to stand during prayer, then changing his posture and kneeling indicates that this prayer is special in some way. And the fact is that kneeling emphasized that a particular prayer was extremely important and required an extra level of humility. And we find examples of that in Scripture. King Solomon knelt down in front of all the Jewish people when he dedicated the temple to God. Jesus knelt down in the Garden of Gethsemane and ultimately even laid down on the ground when he prayed on the last night of his life. By kneeling, Paul is communicating that this is a vitally important prayer, and he's approaching God with great humility as he makes this request. What is it that makes this particular prayer so vitally important? As we're going to see, Paul is praying for the church of Jesus Christ. He's praying for the family of God, and that makes this prayer vitally important. Let's see how Paul prays. 
For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Paul begins his prayers with this, these words, for this reason, he's telling us that he's making a transition and his prayer actually is based on and is a summary of everything that he's written in the letter to this point. And what he's been writing about is this, he's been talking about the incredible spiritual riches of God that are lavished upon people through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We get to experience spiritual riches because God has made them available to us through Jesus. Paul's been writing about that, and now he wants to pray about that. Paul also has been writing about the amazing unity that God has created between Jews and Gentiles. And as someone who lives in a world that historically has been divided by race and nation and culture and ethnicity, he's amazed by the fact that through the power of the Holy Spirit, God has broken down those barriers. There are no ethnic or spiritual divisions within the church. All people can be united through Jesus. And that's why a Jewish Christian like Paul can be a brother in Christ to the Greek Christians of Ephesus. And Paul is simply amazed by that. He's overwhelmed by that. He's in awe of that. And it drives him to his knees to pray for this unique spiritual family that God has formed. So for this reason, Paul prays for the family of God. Now, as I, as I read this, you might have noticed in verse 15 that, that Paul's words about the family don't seem to initially make much sense. And we might find ourselves asking, well, how does every family get its name from God? What does Paul mean? Well, the reason it doesn't make sense to us is because we're reading it in an English translation. It makes perfect sense when we read it in the original Greek text. The word father is the Greek word pater, and the word family is the Greek word patria. Paul is saying that every patria derives its name from the pater simply because they're two different forms of the same word. It's a simple bit of wordplay, which Paul loves to do. The more important question, I believe, is this. What family or families is Paul talking about? Is he actually referring to every family that ever lived? Well, I don't think so, because he mentions families in heaven and on earth. Well, people who are in heaven are faithful believers who've gone before us. There are spiritual ancestors who've paved the way for us. Those are the families he's thinking about in heaven. And here on earth, he's praying specifically for part of God's family there in Ephesus, the men and women who are trying to follow Jesus in the midst of daily life in that community. And he wants those believers to never forget that they are linked to God and to each other as a family. A family that now consists of Jews and Gentiles. A family made up of people from every nation, every tribe, 
every ethnicity, every language group. God's family is unique. So as Paul prays for the believers there in Ephesus, he wants them to understand that they are just one expression of God's global and eternal family. That is really important to know and to remember and never forget. We're not the family of God. We are one part of God's global, eternal family here at Garden Way. And as Paul prays for them, did you notice that he doesn't pray for their physical needs, which is what we usually pray about? Instead, he asks, them to, he asks God to bless them so that they will spiritually flourish. He prays for the power of the Holy Spirit to be at work within them, transforming them from the inside out. As he says it there in verse 16, he says, in your inner being. And that phrase is filled with significance based on the Middle Eastern understanding of the day. Paul's talking about God strengthening their reason and their conscience and their will. And he prays this way because he knows that Ephesus is full of temptation. He knows that believers can become distracted from God by the busyness of life. He knows that Christians can make excuses to avoid praying. However, if the Holy Spirit's power is at work within them, then the way that they think and they act and make decisions will be transformed. And how will the church be transformed? Through love. Not through greater knowledge, but through greater love. Because the love of God, that love which was made real through the sacrifice of Jesus, that love that Christians experience through the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, that is a love which surpasses knowledge, as Paul prays here in verse 19. Love that surpasses knowledge. Paul prays this way for this group of people because he understands the Greek culture of Ephesus and the Greeks love knowledge. They love knowledge more than they love love. And they love knowledge so much that it can become an idol that gets in the way of living by faith and being led by the Spirit. Now, Paul is not denying the value of knowledge. People need to know the truth about Jesus Christ. But Paul is also aware that knowledge by itself does not unite people. And in certain cases, knowledge even can become a weapon of the prideful. I had a vivid example of this at our last church. Two of the most biblically knowledgeable people were two of the most ungodly. They were full of pride, so they looked down on others with less knowledge and less education. They were harshly critical of people who disagreed with them because obviously those people were ignorant and uninformed. And these two individuals caused a lot of relational heartache and conflict because they loved knowledge more than they loved love. And it resulted in a lot of ungodly behavior. And I can point to church after church 
where people are united in knowledge because they agree on core doctrine, and yet they tear each other apart over other issues because they do not love. And Paul knows that the Ephesians, because they're products of their culture, like we're all products of our own culture, and they're products of Greek Greek culture, which means they're prone to that kind of attitude. And so Paul prays for them. He prays for the Spirit's power to overwhelm them with love. And when the Ephesians can grasp the incredible scope of God's love, when they stop exalting themselves because of their knowledge and instead they radiate the love of God, then they will spiritually flourish. They will be full of God. And what happens when we're full of God? I think it often changes the way that we pray about our physical circumstances. For example, if I'm in a broken relationship, my normal tendency might be to pray and say, God, fix the other person. But if I'm full of God and being led by the Holy Spirit, I might pray, Lord, change me. If I'm living paycheck to paycheck and I feel like I never have enough money, my normal way to pray might be to say, God, give me more. But if I'm full of God and being led by the Holy Spirit, I might pray, God, help me to be a better steward of what you've given me. If I don't have a way to get to work, my normal way to to pray might be to say something like, God, I need a car. Please give me a car. But if I'm full of God and being led by the Spirit, I might pray this way, God, please provide me with some form of transportation. See, I might be able to actually redefine the need for which I'm praying. I believe that's the kind of thing that happens when we spiritually flourish and the power of the Spirit is at work in our lives. We will pray differently, and that's why I believe it is so vital that we pray for the spiritual needs of one another. And to make this an even higher priority than praying for the physical needs of each other. We need to pray for Christians to spiritually flourish because the Spirit's power transforms us. He helps us to be full of God and to radiate the love of God. He helps us to see life differently and to pray differently. When that happens, then our lives are going to honor God perhaps in ways that we might never expect, perhaps in ways beyond what we ever even could uh, ask or imagine. And that's how Paul closes this prayer, praying that God would be honored in the lives of believers and that God would be honored in ways that surpass what the people of God could ever even dream of. Look what Paul says in the last two verses. Now to him, that's where the glory goes, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. Look at the connection there, his power working in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Paul's deepest desire is for the community of faith to honor God and to reveal his glory. 
And he wants people of faith to live in this world in such a way that people outside the community of faith will see something different in us and in our life together. Outsiders should see in us a love and unity that they cannot explain because the love of God surpasses knowledge. People who are not part of the community of faith should see within us an attitude of selfless service toward others. And we're serving people in need and helping the downtrodden and reaching out to those who are marginalized in the world. They will see a community where we take the teaching of Jesus seriously. And so our attitudes and our actions and our life together display the love of God. And as I reflect on this prayer, I realize how different this prayer of Paul is from the kind of prayer I usually pray. And I'll bet it's very different from the kind of prayer you usually pray. Paul doesn't pray and say, Oh God, please make every believer in Ephesus healthy, wealthy, and wise. He doesn't say, I want you to bless them all with great jobs or fine houses. Instead, He prays and says, God, would your power be at work within this community of faith? And I believe that can happen, and it will happen when followers of Jesus let the Spirit lead us. And when we let the Spirit lead us and do the things that God asks us to do, that's when God is honored. That's when people see God in me, in you, in us. And when we're led by the Spirit, often what people see are things that we never could ask or imagine. That's why I believe we should take this prayer of Paul and pray this kind of prayer for each other. Pray for other believers to spiritually flourish so that God is honored in our midst. Now, I want to highlight something that's not part of the text, but I believe it becomes obvious when we consider the life and ministry of the Apostle Paul. Because he was praying to God and listening to God and asking God to do great things, then I believe he would automatically be living with a sense of anticipation. He would be looking to see where God was at work. And when you're looking to see where God is at work, then what you see is also this. You see opportunities to be part of the answer to your own prayers. You see opportunities to be led by the Spirit to do very specific things to enrich the life of the family of God. A couple of examples from Paul's life. The Ephesians, they needed to learn about God. Paul was praying about that. And through this letter, he helped them gain more knowledge about the life of faith. He was part of the answer to his own prayer. The Ephesians needed to know that God's love surpasses knowledge. So he spent three years with this church where he not only could teach them, but by living among them, he could personally demonstrate the love of God through his care for those brothers and sisters in Christ. He was part of the answer to his own prayer. And it tells me that Paul was not offering passive prayers. He wasn't saying, okay, God, I've prayed, now it's up to you. Paul's prayers of spiritual intercession were active prayers where he was listening to God, seeing where God was at work, and then was willing to step in and be part of the answer. 
and through Paul, God did more than anyone ever could ask or imagine. From a human standpoint, whoever could have imagined that a man like Paul would do anything significant? From all we know, he was a pretty unimpressive guy. He was not much to look at. He was not a great public speaker. In fact, he was rather dry and boring from what we know. And yet the power of the Holy Spirit was at work in his life. And because he was led by the Spirit, he introduced hundreds of people to Jesus. He started scores of new churches from scratch, and he wrote much of our New Testament. Paul's life was a testimony to the fact that God can do more than we ever ask or imagine. And as he prays here, he knows the reality of this, and he wants the community of faith in Ephesus to experience that same kind of thing. He wanted God's Spirit to work in them and through them and among them so they could see God do things that were beyond their imagination. That's why these kinds of prayers are so powerful. And what I've just described and what Paul prays for here in this part of the Bible can be reality. And it was a reality in the life of a remarkable woman named Henrietta Mears. When Henrietta was just a young child, her parents diligently prayed for her because they wanted their daughter to become a faithful follower of Jesus. They wanted her to spiritually flourish. And God answered that prayer by doing far more through her life than anyone ever could have asked or imagined. Henrietta became a Christian at a young age, and very early on, she devoted herself to prayer, and that was a characteristic of her life until the day she died. She prayed. One of the most common things her friends heard her say was something like this, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to think. We'll just have to pray and see what God wants. What a great example praying and asking God for wisdom to know what to do and how to act. And Henrietta prayed not just for herself. She prayed for the church. She prayed for believers to spiritually flourish. And just like the Apostle Paul, she was living with anticipation, seeing what God might do in response to her prayers, and therefore she was willing and available to step in and become part of the answer to her own prayers. For example, she saw a great need in the church, a need for people to move beyond just church attendance and sitting in a pew and to become disciples of Jesus. So she asked God to meet that need, and he did far more than she imagined. God prompted her to become the founder of Gospel Light, a publisher of Christian teaching materials that focused on living the life of faith. And hundreds of thousands of people including me, have been spiritually enriched because of the materials published by Gospel Light. Henrietta lived much of her life in Southern California, and it's a place of hustle and bustle and busyness and chaos, and she saw a need for Christians living in that region to have a place to escape, have a place where they could get away from the busyness of life and experience times of spiritual refreshment and spiritual renewal. So she asked God to meet that need, and he did far more than she ever was able to imagine. God prompted her to become the founder of Forest Home, one of the premier Christian camps and conference centers in our nation. 
And hundreds of thousands of people, including me, have been spiritually enriched because of times of spiritual retreat that we've spent at Forest Home. Henrietta had a concern that people were not understanding the grand scope of the Bible, that they didn't get the big picture of Scripture. And so she prayed about that and asked God to meet that need. And God prompted her to write a book called What the Bible is All About. It was first published in the 1950s and it's been continuously in print ever since. It sold more than 4 million copies. I have a copy of that book on my bookshelf in my office. For many years, Henrietta led the college ministry at a large church in Los Angeles. And at the peak, she was teaching and mentoring as many as 300 students every week. And she prayed for them. She prayed diligently for these young men and women that she was teaching in that group. And she asked God to be at work in their lives through the power of the Holy Spirit. And as she saw God doing incredible things through her, she wanted the same thing to be true for these people that God had entrusted to her care. And as a result of her great Bible teaching and her focus on discipleship and her prayers, hundreds of these women and men went on to lives of great spiritual significance in business, in missions, and in ministry. And people touched by her ministry in a personal way. People who considered her to be a key spiritual mentor in their lives included people like Bill Bright, the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ, the evangelist Billy Graham. How did that happen to an ordinary woman? It happened because Henrietta's parents prayed for her, asking God to help their daughter spiritually flourish. It happened because Henrietta prayed, praying that the church would spiritually flourish, and God answered those prayers in her life by doing more than anyone could ever ask or imagine. And she prayed that the people whose lives she touched would go on and do more than anyone could ask or imagine, and that happened, and the legacy of faith lives on and is reproduced, and as a result, the church of Jesus Christ flourishes, and God was honored. And it all started with prayer. Prayers for the family of God to flourish. Prayers based on this example that the Apostle Paul gives us here in the Bible. And I firmly believe that wherever and whenever followers of Jesus pray for the church like the Apostle Paul did, that incredible things can happen. And in fact, we might find ourselves saying, what might God do? I believe we need to make this spirit-inspired prayer our prayer. I believe that we need to faithfully pray for each other, not just for the physical needs of life, but praying that each of us would spiritually flourish. And I believe that we should pray and ask God to do something here that goes so far beyond what we ever could ask or imagine that we only have one recourse and that's to say God did it because we never could. And when that happens, people will say, God is honored. Jesus gets the glory. My prayer is that our God will be honored as we pray and then as we listen as we let the Spirit lead us, that people will be touched and changed by the way you and I and we 
live out our faith together. I want to close this morning by taking Paul's prayer and making it my own. I believe that's one of the reasons we're given these prayers in Scripture is we can, we can adopt them and make them our own because they are Spirit-inspired prayers. And so I want to take this prayer and I want to pray it now on our behalf, asking God to be at work in us, helping each of us to be spiritually fruitful and to spiritually flourish. Let's pray. Our loving Father, this morning I come and I kneel before you. I kneel before you as our Father because you are the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And I pray, Father, that out of your glorious riches, the riches that you have revealed to us and poured out on us through Jesus, Father, may these glorious riches strengthen us. I pray, Father, for each person here this morning that you would strengthen them as part of your family here at Garden Way. I pray, Father, for each person here that they would be strengthened through the power of the Spirit in their inner being. And I pray, Father, that each of us may have Christ dwell in our hearts through faith, a deep and lasting faith that we never let go of. And Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters here. I pray that that they, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, an incredible love that we can't fully grasp, but we can know it experientially. Oh, Father, I pray that we all would know this love so that we can be full of you, that we can be filled to the measure of the fullness of you, Father, Son, and Spirit. Oh, Lord, may each person here be full of your love and may we overflow with your love. And so we pray, Father, to you, the one who's able to do immeasurably more than anything we ever could ask or even imagine. We pray to you according to your power that is at work within us here at Garden Way. And we ask you to do something great. We ask this humbly, Father, not to make a name for ourselves, but to make a name for you. Because our prayer is the prayer of Paul that to him, to you, be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. When I offer this prayer, Father, I offer it in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.